This podcast is brought to you by Thor Bullets. Thor Bullets are a premium full-bore muzzleloader bullet designed specifically for modern inline rifles. Thor Bullets do not require plastic sabos or belts to be fired, meaning less cleaning for you between shots. The patented copper base creates an airtight seal, giving you greater distance and accuracy. Thor's unique engineering allows the bullets to retain 95% of their weight upon impact, and the controlled expansion ensures large, easy-to-follow blood trails. Thor bullets are currently available in a 50 caliber version that is sized to your specific bore. Thor is also expanding into a new 45 caliber bullet designed for faster 1 in 24 and 1 in 22 twist inline rifles. For more information on these great bullets, visit www.thorbullets.com. We'd like to thank Thor Bullets for their sponsorship of this podcast. Welcome back to Muzzle Blast, the official podcast of the National Muzzleloading Rifle Association. This week, we're talking with Jason Schneider from Rice Barrels. Jason's been the owner and operator of Rice Barrels for a few years now, and uh, we're going to talk to him about barrel manufacturing, his history in muzzleloading, competitive shooting, and a little bit of hunting. So this episode's got a little bit of everything when it comes to muzzleloaders. Stick around and hope you enjoy. Yeah, my name is Jason Schneider, and I'm the owner of Rice Barrel Company. My introduction to muzzleloading came when I was a, a young boy. Uh, my dad had a muzzleloader, um, watching him shoot it, and I thought it was really cool, you know, to see the smoke come out the end of the barrel. You know, decided I, I needed to have one at some point in time, and um, I don't remember if I if I ever shot it. I was pretty young, and I think my dad. Uh, he trade guns and try to upgrade, and I think he ended up, you know, uh, doing that. And uh, but uh, I guess I was um, uh, a young man. I was serving my apprenticeship as a toolmaker, and um, oh, hunting season was you know getting close. And I was asking some of the guys in the tool room uh, what they would recommend, uh, you know, if, or if they could recommend a muzzleloader, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of them said, well, you should go and talk to Liston Rice. You know, he, he knows a thing or two about muzzleloaders. Well, I didn't know <laughs> I didn't, uh, I didn't know who Liston was, hadn't met him yet. And um, so, yeah, I got, got to meet him, you know. And um, lo and behold, he was one of the uh, <laughs> co-founders of L&R Lock Company, you know. Cool. Uh, uh, you know, it was him and his brother, L.C., and... Uh, their cousin David had started that, and they ran it and operated it, uh, you know, for for quite some time. I, I don't remember, I don't know all that history. Right. Um, and then you know they had sold it, and um, and they started Rice Barrel Company. And um, this would probably be I had met Liston around um, probably 1999 or so. And, uh, you know, they were making some barrels and selling some barrels. Um, It was kind of a part-time thing for them. You know, they were all working uh, regular full-time jobs. And um, so, you know, I talked with him, and then uh, he recommended just starting out, just something that you could get and just go and use a Lyman Great Plains rifle. So uh, that's what I did. I bought a Lyman's Great Plains, and... It was a cap lock, and um, mm-hmm. it was had a round ball twist. I think I think they have a one and sixty inch twist, and um, you know got familiar with it, and it shot pretty good. You know it was adequate. I think it was about you know shoot around two inches or so at fifty yards, and um, you know just got to asking more questions and trying to learn about it, and and uh, decided uh, that I wanted to upgrade the barrel. And uh, so Liston, he told me, he said, well, come on out to the shop, you know, and we'll pick one out. And, and I wanted to see his shop anyway. Yeah. And um, so that was really cool. You know, that was kind of the first time I was in in a, in a barrel making shop. And um, being an outdoorsman and then a, a machinist at that, um, you know, I, I, I want to be a part of it, you know. And uh, so when I bought a barrel from him, I said, hey, do you ever need any help? You know, mm-hmm. I, I said, I'll, I'll sweep the floors. I just want to I just want to see how this is done, you know. Yeah. And, um, you know, he said, well, we're just trying to get started. And and uh, he said, I'll keep you in mind, you know. And, uh, you know, we would talk you know, from time to time at work. And, and um, oh, I don't remember exactly, but... Uh, 
and he helped me get the barrel going and get it on that lineman and it shot really well and uh, <laughs> I can remember the, the first three rounds out of the barrel were all touching at 50 yards wow and um you know I said whoa you know a good barrel <laughs> really does make a difference and uh so I was kind of hooked at that point um yeah with muzzleloading it was just it was really cool you know um and then I learned uh, through through listing and his brother LC. There was a local muzzleloading club. Um, you know, I joined that and was shooting. And um, through them, we learned that uh, uh, there was a place called Friendship. You know, uh, <laughs> where the where the National Muzzleloading Rifle Association was, and and they were going and uh, got directions and 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 went up there on a weekend and. Uh, me and a buddy and uh, my brother and oh, we just had a great time you know um was just amazed it's 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 uh it's its own unique place you know yeah um with all the vendors and all the parts and um gun builders and um all the shooting that was going on i, I was just amazed at how long the firing line was <laughs> that was just a, a, amazing but uh you know, I guess you could say I was bit by the muzzleloading bug then, and yeah. uh, and right around that time, um, you know, they were producing more barrels, and and uh, they needed some help, and so, I mean, I literally started draw filing barrels. You know, hmm. um, probably the the crappiest job in the entire <laughs> shop. You know, and uh, but um, I was. Just, just happy to, to be a part of it, you know. So that was kind of my my introduction to muzzleloading. Um, I had a had an opportunity uh, to go out west and guide, and uh, oh, wow. you know, being an outdoorsman, I mean, I jumped all over that. And um, I was working then for Liston um, part time, uh, doing some machining, and mm-hmm. um, and left to go guiding you know and uh was out there um from about may to right around thanksgiving um when season ended okay. and uh the hunting season and i can remember we were breaking down the camps and, and packing up and getting them off the mountain before the snow really started getting extremely deep yeah. and um i remember calling list and got out on a cell phone and I said, have you got that barrel business cranked up yet? You know, I'm coming home. I'm going to need a job. <laughs> 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 and he said, oh, when you get home, come see me. We'll talk, you know. Yeah. And um, he was able to work me part-time. And uh, so I had a, I did that and then was working another part-time job. And, uh, you know, it just slowly, um, you know, I started selling more barrels and, and uh, doing more, and you know, it became a, a full-time job, and um, it just continued to grow. And um, oh, after a couple of years, you know, I was running the the production end of it oh, in wow. the shop. And, From uh, draw filing to running production, then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know, I already had a background in machining too, so yeah, that helped, you know, tremendously. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I worked for them for, uh, about 10 years. It's right wow. around 10 years. And, um, you know, the company just continued to grow. And, um, at that point in time, Liston was ready to uh, retire mm-hmm. and I bought it from them <laughs> and, um, I've had it now for about 10 years. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just a kind of a, a quick rundown, you know? Yeah. So are, are you guys making exclusively muzzleloading barrels or do you make modern barrels as well? So um, primarily muzzleloading barrels. I have been making some uh, black powder cartridge barrels okay. uh, where a couple of those calibers, you know, just just branch right over into yeah. a, a cartridge, black powder cartridge gun. Um, so we've been doing some of that lately. Um, but it's still primarily, you know, muzzleloaders. Into muzzleloading, you know, I mean, we've added on, um, you know, for years, um, the company, I, I guess, had around 
six or uh, six, seven, eight swamped profiles that, that we offered, mm-hmm. um, and in straight barrels and, and straight tapers. And, uh, and that was it, you know, um, and just through the process, uh, that we were using at the time, um, you know, it kind of limited us, um, especially in the swamp barrel area, we had to, you had to make templates, um, mm-hmm. and then the machine followed the templates, you know? So, um, if a person wanted, you know, something a little different, I mean, you could manipulate them a little bit, but, but not a lot. Um, so, you know, if, even if a couple of guys got together and wanted a completely different profile, um, it just wasn't cost effective, you know, to yeah. make a, a whole set of templates for, you know, a half a dozen barrels. So <laughs> when I bought the company, I'd say within a couple of years, two years, I think three years, um, I wanted to add some CNC equipment to be, you know, that would allow us to manufacture other profiles. And, and, and so that's what I did. Um, we were, we were able to get a, uh, the Haas VF4. Um, and so we were milling all the octagon then, mm-hmm. and you can just program whatever rate of taper and flare that you would like, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's pretty simple. It's uh, it doesn't take all that long. You know, you don't have to make templates. So, um, you know, that opened up then a lot of additional business for different patterns and custom barrels. Um, I also got a CNC lathe, and then we started making octagon round barrels. You know, or Fowlers, mm-hmm. full round Fowlers, and um, pistol barrels then as well. So. Um, you know, we were able to add uh, to our product line. Yeah. With the addition of some new equipment. Yeah. We talked to uh, Jim Kibler some last year mm-hmm. about how the CNC machinery, adding that to, you know, kind of the muzzle loading industry, so to speak, really changes and grows what you can do. It really does. Really affordably. Yes, it really does. It really does. It is a huge, huge asset. Yeah, you're you're bringing 21st century machining and technology with all the programming and things, mm-hmm. and you're adding it to these old long rifles, you know, that guys used to just be knocking out in a cabin out in the woods, you know, with a, <laughs> right. a candlelight next to a window. You know? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. I think it's a, a neat meshing of, of time there. It really is. It really is. And I, you know, I was doing that before I got into muzzleloading and working for the barrel company. I had um, prior experience programming machines and running machines, you know. So mm-hmm. um, when the opportunity came to upgrade that machinery, I jumped all over it because it, yeah. it's just a huge asset. So I hear a lot from people that get into muzzleloading, and I'm kind of the same way myself. Um, my father's got a little shop with some machines and some tools and things, and I kind of grew up with that. But a lot of people that get into muzzle loading come from kind of of a machining, tool and die making, yeah, yeah, background. What do you think it is about muzzle loading that attracts those kind of people to it? It's a, I think it's a lot of hands on. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. it's pretty easy to you know once you kind of get in your foot in a door. Man, there's all these kit manufacturers and you can buy all these pieces and parts, you know, and, um, if you like to build things and tinker, um, all these pieces and parts are available. So, and it's kind of unique in the fact that each load is, is your building, you know, you're, you're making that, that load when you're loading that round, you know, um, which is, which is kind of neat. If you think about, if you compare it to a center fire, um, if you're just buying factory ammunition, um, you know, every every round is pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. And with a muzzleloader, you, you can vary that, you know. Yeah. So and then you have the pride of doing it, you know, yourself. Um, whatever level of, um, of the build that you're at, whether you're starting from scratch or just doing a barrel swap or uh, starting from a kit, you know, whichever, there, there's a lot of pride in doing that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I, I think so. I just finished a, a traditions kit for um, a video series for the MLRA mm -hmm. here. And that was arguably, I think, one of the simplest kits on the market yeah. and a great way to get started. But even then, I, when I finished it, I was super I was super happy about it. I mean, it was just neat to have it in my hands right. and taking it from in this bubble plastic to a functional muzzle loader that I can go out and shoot. It's just yeah, hard to and describe that. You know, you... You know, you really don't have to have um, any specialty tools to do it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you yeah. can get by with just common everyday, everyday tools that most people have. You know, yeah. um, so I think that's a, a big, a big uh, plus for it as well. Yeah, when you're just getting started, you don't need a, you don't need a CNC mill. No, uh, you can no. A f some files and some hammers. Well, that's and it. At it. Yeah, you, you don't even need a manual mill or a manual lathe. I mean, yeah, it, it can all be done with hand tools, you know, um, mm -hmm. and it, it's pretty amazing, really. So, when it comes to muzzleloading, do you still do a lot of shooting, or are you mostly just kind of working and supplying people with good barrels now? <laughs> it's funny you ask. You know, when I was an employee of the company, I did a lot of shooting, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, competed, you know, I, I shot yeah. a lot. Um, and like I said, there was a local, actually there were two muzzleloading clubs local. Um, and, and I shot there on a regular basis and, uh, would go to the Sergeant York match. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. I shot at that match for years, um, the best I ever finished was fourth. Uh, really proud of that. You know, I mean, yeah. there's some great, great, great shooters there. Um, but I finished fourth. And of course I did that with a rice barrel <laughs> and I shot some at friendship too. Um, not, not a whole lot, not really, uh, you know, competing, um, just more recreational. Yeah. Um, but still, you know, really enjoyed it. And, um, but then, you know, when I become the owner, <laughs> it just, there's not quite as much time. There's yeah. just not quite as much time uh, yeah. for that, you know. So, um, you know, I shoot some occasionally, um, but but nothing like I used to. What disciplines did you did you shoot a lot in? Mostly offhand. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly offhand, and of course, uh, as we would be getting close to the the Sergeant York match, I'd start practicing shooting prone and then mm -hmm. our local club would have um practice matches uh were for the york match because our whole club would go up um and set up a, a camp and everything you know so oh, cool it, it was a, it was kind of a big ordeal for for our club and um and then i i tell you one that i really enjoyed at, at the nationals at friendship was um the silhouette range, you know, that was just a yeah. lot of fun. Just the reactive targets, you know. Yeah. Um, but that was just a lot of fun and very challenging. I mean, you're standing yeah. there offhand, and the, whether you're shooting a small bore, you know, that'd be a hundred yard, you can go out to a hundred yard shot. Very challenging. And if you're shooting a large bore, you know, you go out to two hundred yards offhand, iron sights, patched round yeah. ball. You know, that's that's a challenge. That is a challenge, and you've got to knock it over. So you got to have enough gun. Yep. To knock it over. If it's a low shot, if it hits low, you know, you still got to be able to knock it over. Yeah. <laughs> Even <laughs> just l last year at some of the silhouette matches that we were, the little weekend matches we were able to have. Yeah. There are a lot of, there's a lot of back and forth on whether or not hitting it, but not knocking it off the rail counted. And there was, <laughs> it was just always funny because right. every now, everybody that, you know, hits it and makes it wobble just kind of hopes that the rules are going to bend a little bit. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even yeah. today, they've they've still. Um, I think a lot of people swear at those chickens. They're, they're so, oh, that's they're the so toughest tough. one. The, yeah. the chicken and and a turkey. Yeah, it's just so hard to get a good sight picture on them. And you got no wind on those turkeys. No, you don't. You don't. Yeah, that's the most challenging one. Yeah. I set up a small chicken silhouette off my back porch. I do some air rifle shooting, just kind of mm -hmm. plinking around. And I've got a, a disc and a chicken there. And the, uh, they're about the same size, but really that chicken takes some effort. You know, I got to really, really does. be thinking. It, it really does. It really does. It's, it's, a, it's a deceiving target, you know? Yeah. There's a yeah. lot of... Uh, there's a lot of areas to miss. 
you know, yeah. around, around that neck and head, there's nothing there, you know, yeah. uh, where if that was a disc, you would have hit it, you know, yeah. or a rectangle, uh, you would have hit it. But, um, yeah, you just flat out miss. And that's, I, that's what I really enjoy about muzzleloader shooting because every time you go back to reload, you have this little process that you can go through. And I think there's a, there, it's simple, but it's also challenging because you have to be in the right headspace that whole time. It's not just racking a bolt back, you know, and you're retailered. You That's have true. to get out of position. You have to move away from the line, reload, get back into position and get back on the target all the while, you know, with everything that's going on in your head, you've got to deal with all of that and then getting back on the site picture. That's it. And, and the amount of time that it takes to then, you know, from when the, from when the shot fired, you go back to the bench and, and mm -hmm. you clean and you load and you get back to the line. Conditions could have changed and changed oh, yeah. quite a bit, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah, it's completely different. It, it is very, very challenging. When I, when I got into muzzleloading shooting and, and competing, um, I had come from centerfire competition, uh, okay. from, and, and I shot um, thousand yard bench rest, Ooh. and it was a lot of fun. You know, I enjoyed it, and uh, you know, at first um, shooting at say fifty, sixty yards of a muzzleloader, I thought, well, this is going to be easy, you know, um, but quite challenging, you know. Yeah. And, and that was, and some of that was the fact that from one shot to the next, you know, there, there's quite a, a couple of minutes that go by and yeah. just the cleaning and loading procedure. And, and like you said, you, you know, you, you come completely out of your shooting stance or position. And so you've got to get back into it. Um, where, you know, when you were, where I came from shooting bench rest, uh, center fire a thousand yards, really the whole, what you were trying to do was get your rounds off as quickly as you could, which you could get them off pretty quickly with a bolt gun, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. um, and, and, and get your rounds off before conditions change. Yeah. And, um, you know, that, that's pretty much impossible to do. <laughs> and, you know, conditions, it's lighting, it. it's the light, it's the wind, you know, mm -hmm. um, the light just plays a tremendous, tremendous role in, in your sights, what you're actually yeah. seeing, you know, um, you think you, you see the top of your front sight and you may not, you know, you're, yeah. you're looking down a third, a third of the way down into it, you know, and, um, it changes the point of impact. <laughs> yeah, quite a bit, yeah. especially at, at those longer distances. Oh, my you know, gosh. It's, it's one thing to shoot 25 yards, right. especially offhand. Right. You, you right. take that out to a couple hundred yards, and, boy, yeah. there's a lot of movement. I mean, you see a lot of good groups at 25 yards offhand, you know, and mm -hmm. you start stretching it out there. You know, that's what separates the men from the boys, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, then it's it's down to how much you know yourself and how much you know your gun and oh, yeah. how much you can gauge those conditions. Mm -hmm. We have a little match there in August at Friendship where uh, the big, uh, I guess the the draw for it is you take a twenty two rifle out to five hundred yards to pop balloons. Oh and wow! Boy, that's that's. I didn't even know that you guys are doing that. Yeah, it's so much fun. Uh, one of the guys that shoots a lot of black powder cartridge there for the those matches him and his son put on the match and we help promote it and you know cover it and boy it's just so much fun they've got a ton of neat uh, silhouettes set up there'll be like groundhogs and uh, mm -hmm. crows and things set up at unknown yardages and the targets change you know depending on you know how far out you are so you might have a a 12 inch crow at 50 yards but then at 75 it might be like 16 inches mm -hmm. so to try to play with you even more and you can have scopes with that stuff but a lot of times that doesn't help very much if you're not a if you're not it on amplifies your game, the wobble yeah <laughs> yep. yeah and that 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 whole match is shot with a 22 yep just with a 22 yep yeah that's pretty cool 500 yep. yards with a 22 wow yeah, you got to hold there at the 500 yard line. You got to be about three quarters of the way up those trees behind it I to start it. getting on the on the uh, the silhouette line. There, it's mm -hmm. <laughs> it's neat. Can you even see the the round kick up dirt if you miss the balloon? It, if it's dry, yes. Yeah. 
this year it was a little damp overnight and it made it just grueling to try to see where stuff was yeah you can't even walk it in yeah yeah you had to kind of have an idea of where it was but even then with the conditions there i mean that range can be so tricky it's hard to mm-hmm. it's hard to gauge even you know if you sight in one day to the next day it could be totally different my goodness I'll shoot you. We've got a couple of videos from it. I'll I'll send, I'll email yeah, those like to you. Yeah, I'd like to see that. <laughs> it's it's pretty wild. Uh, it's funny. Guys come in with, uh, I think 2019 was the first year, and and at last year's match, people that were at 2019 came back with whole new guns and whole new rigs <laughs> to try to beat the game, and it was yeah. it was funny. <laughs> I wonder what angle, at 500 yards. That projectile is coming down at the target. You know, it's probably pretty, yeah. pretty steep. Yeah, it'd be uh, neat to do the math on that. Yeah, it's 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 basically like artillery. You know. Yeah, <laughs> it's dropping in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how many how many people hit it? Oh, quite a few. Um, yeah. It's the the match itself is set up, I think, with ten shots. Um, but everything is kind of a reentry. It's like a mm-hmm. it's set up like a carnival game. You know, so every every turn at the games is, you know, one or two bucks. Right. And, um, you get kind of addicted that way and you think you <laughs> yeah. can get your score. And there are several that get it, get it within 10. Um, and I think most people, if the conditions are good, get it within 20, 20 shots. Wow. We had a guy, um, in 2019 did it with irons with his grandfather's rifle from wow. he, his grandfather had bought it in the twenties for $6. He said, <laughs> and he had it out there and popped a balloon at 500 yards with iron sights. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That'd be fun to do with a muzzleloader round ball. Yeah, yeah, that's what we've been we've been talking with him is is setting up the same kind of targets and mm-hmm. it's kind of the fun of a woods walk, but really sh- kind of shifting the game. Yeah, yeah, I would say it would just be as equally challenging. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, because you don't have the you don't have the speed at all <laughs> of, right, right. of a modern cartridge and oh, that round ball is <laughs> not very ballistically efficient. No, it, it's ballistically challenged. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> For a limited time, you can enter to win a 15-pack of Thor Bullets. That's a 30 to $34 value. Visit ThorBullets.com slash NMLRA to fill out the form and enter to win. So what's a, a normal work day at Rice Barrels look like? How For people who aren't familiar with you, how big is the company? And, and I guess just what's, a, what's day-to-day operations look like? Yeah, so, you know, I'm in about a 5,000-square-foot building. Um, you know, I've got uh, three full-time employees. Um, you know, we start... Um, 6 a.m., work to 2.30 p.m., Monday through Friday. We start early so we can get off early and, and go live our lives, you know. I like uh, that. Yeah, it, it's really nice. It really is, especially in the summertime. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not, not so much right now with uh, short days, but it is really nice in the summertime. But, um, yeah, um, you know, we produce around 2,500 barrels a year, Um you know, it's it's a full time business and full time job. Yeah. Um, you know, I think what a lot of people uh, and my customers uh, probably don't realize, you know, is how many barrels are in production from day to day. Um, I think a lot of people think, um, you know, we go well today. We're going to build Ethan's barrel, you know, and mm-hmm. and you know it, that's just kind of the the concentration for that day is, is maybe a, a couple of barrels, but um, on any given day, you know, there's a few hundred drilled and reamed holes sitting on the shelf, you know, yeah. that are all various calibers, you know, um, mm-hmm. so that as the orders come in and as we fill in the holes in our inventory, we can just start pulling those particular calibers off the shelf and, and we start rifling them. Um and, you know, there's, there's, you know, I mean, the rifling machines just don't stop. I mean, two, <laughs> two CNC-controlled rifling machines uh, that the company built. Um, wow. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, they just run continuous, you know. Um, hmm. 
and then from there, um, you know, they're just feeding the next machine and the next operation in the process, you know. Um, but, um, you know, I think, I guess a few things, you know, that, that we do, um, that really set us apart. I would say the first thing is all of our barrels are stress relieved. We start with stress relieved steel. And, and what I mean by that is uh, when a steel comes in, we cut it to length and, and then I've got an oven we put it in the oven, um, and, and we stress relieve it. So we start with barrel steel that has zero stress in it and that's about a three-day process uh, heating it up and um, letting it soak at a particular temperature and then cooling back off it 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 takes quite a while to cool off so that you can handle it you know so we uh, I typically do that on a Friday we'll start it on a Friday evening and and let it cook and all over the weekend Mm -hmm. and I'll come in sometime over the weekend and turn it off and, and start the cooling process so that Monday we can start handling it, you know, and start, yeah. start drilling holes. <laughs> um, but that's a, that's a huge, huge part of a, of a accurate barrel and a, and a barrel that maintains it zero, um, okay. is a piece of steel that does not have stress in it. When a piece hmm. of, when, when steel has stress in it, um, when heat is introduced to it, it moves. Right. And, you know, it, it's, it's not a lot, um, you know, but it's enough on a gun barrel that it makes a difference, you know? Yeah. So, um, that is, that is one thing that we definitely, definitely believe in, um, is stress relieving the steel. And that, so that's kind of like a large scale heat treating, you know, it like is. you would with a it knife is. blade or something like that. It is, you know, it's it's a huge oven. Okay. Uh, all of us, so we cut everything at basically four foot, um, and then it's getting uh, stress relieved in, in a big furnace at that length, you know, and it mm-hmm. the furnace will hold, um, depending on the the size of the bar stock on average, you know, about 150 to 175 pieces of uh, bar stock. Hmm. So it's, you know, there's, like I said, when you, when you figure you got the oven running and you've got just shy of 200 pieces and you've got a couple of hundred drilled and ring holes on the shelf and you've probably got 50 to 60, 70 bars rifled and then, the barrels that are ahead of that on the lathes and on the mills. I mean, there's hundreds of barrels in process at one time. It's just a continual, continual process, you know. You really don't want that process to end because, you know, it's then it just slows down production. Yeah. So so you've got to... You got to keep a nice, smooth, steady flow. So, what's the what's the barrel making process look like? You so you've gotten the you've gotten the bar stock in, you've got it cut to length, and you've got yep. it stress relieved. Yep. Where does it go then? So after stress relieving, we do a little preliminary turning to the bar to uh, ensure that where she's going to be chucked on the deep hole drill is round and true. Okay. And um, from there, it goes to the deep hole drill. Okay. And I've got a uh, double spindle Pratt and Whitney. Um, the machine was made in 1943. It was made oh, specifically wow. to make 50 caliber machine gun barrels for World War II. Wow. I think that's pretty cool, you know. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and she's still running today. Um, hmm. Pratt, Pratt and Whitney nailed it. I mean, their engineers really built a good machine, and the new machines that are made today are the same platform. Um, <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's the same platform. They've changed very little other than, um, you know, they're, they're CNC controlled. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they have the option of having a auto load and auto unload, um, which would, which would be very nice. Yeah. But the overall platform and has not changed at all. Wow. I mean, those engineers nailed it. But, you can't uh, say that much about anything anymore. No, no. <laughs> yeah, they did a great job. And um, so after the drilling process, you know, comes a reaming. So you drill the hole. 
a couple of thousands undersize and you know the drill is basically getting the bulk of the material out of the hole mm -hmm. and then we ream it and so with the reaming you know you're looking to get a a round true hole with a really good surface finish you know mm -hmm. um and then after the reaming you know we'll like i said it goes on a on a shelf organized per caliber so that we can just pull off of the that shelf and start rifling. Yeah. yeah. And um, so it goes to rifling. And, you know, we've got two CNC controlled rifling machines that uh, that we built here in the company. And um, they work great. You know, um, you can walk away from them <laughs> when they're running. <laughs> you know, that, that's it. That's what is so great. And now you can go do other operations, you know, and uh, yeah. other, load other machines and, um, so that that's wonderful. That is wonderful. That's that's the great thing with CNC. And on average, a lot of people ask, you know, how, how many strokes does it take to rifle a barrel? And um, you know, basically, we're we're making uh, square bottom rifling, or some people call it flat bottom rifling, and we make round bottom rifling or, or radius bottom rifling. And uh, square bottom averages, you know, ten to twelve thousandths deep. That's the groove depth. And where round bottom averages 15, 16 thousandths deep per groove. So, of course, round bottom takes longer. Yeah. Um, and bus would have more strokes, you know, but you're looking at like square bottom. You have, oh, you know, seven, eight hundred strokes, you know. Hmm. Okay. Um, and with round bottom, you know, you have roughly almost, you know, 25% more uh, strokes there. So, you know, you're, you're, you're into a thousand over a little over a thousand strokes. Yeah. So, uh, What's the difference in performance when it comes to shooting with the round bottom and the flat bottom? So there's not a huge, huge difference. Um, I would say probably 90% of shooters probably can't tell the difference, you know? Okay. Um, but, uh, there's definitely people that can, and, as far as performance, you know, generally when people say performance, we're talking and a gun, we're talking about accuracy. So um, you can ring out a little more accuracy out of the square bottom, okay? Okay. Um, and the reason being is that, like I mentioned, the square is rifled ten to twelve thousandths deep per groove, and the round bottom, you know, is roughly fifty sixty percent deeper 15 16,000 deep so with the available ball diameters and patch material thicknesses that are available um, you can get an extremely tight patch ball combination in the square bottom okay mm -hmm. um, now when doing that they're harder to load okay yeah. um, but when you start getting total seal a total seal you know where um that patched ball is sealing everywhere inside that groove of that barrel accuracy increases yeah um and that's why you typically see you know really serious competition shooters you know they're they load a bore size ball um or and, and then some disciplines uh will, will even use a uh larger than bore size ball and then a really thick patch you know okay and they're literally seal oh yeah they're li and they're actually elongating that ball um huh. and, and it's getting some bearing surface it's increasing bearing surface it, it's you know i'm not going to say it's a bullet but yeah. you know you are getting some elongation to it and you're getting you are getting a seal at that point. You know, all the gases are getting locked in behind it, and accuracy does increase. Um, it's much harder to load. You know, there's a trade-off yeah. as in pros and cons to everything, right? So, um, but if you're willing to do all that, you know, you can get a little better accuracy. Now that, you know, I want to be clear, it doesn't mean that round bottom is inaccurate. Um mm -hmm. It definitely is not. I mean, it, it's a it's a small gain in accuracy, but you know when you're competing on a national level, um, where the difference between you know first and tenth place is just 
you know, a couple thousandths of an inch, you know, mm-hmm. up to 50, 60 thousandths of an inch on a group, then that can make a difference, you know? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, you know, the square bottom can, can give you a, a little bit better in performance. Um, it's also a little harder to clean. Yeah. Uh, if you can picture, you know, the, the groove itself is square. So there's a, there's an inside corner, you know, and a round jag with a, a patch around it just doesn't get into that corner very well, you know. So that that tends to be where fouling is held up. And, um, yeah. Where a rounded groove, you know, doesn't have that inside corner in, in, in that groove. So they wipe out a little easier. And they load a little easier, too, because you've got more area in that groove for that patched ball to go mm-hmm. um so people generally notice that um mm. what i usually recommend to people you know if they're if it's going to be a hunting gun a recreational target gun um you know woods walk um where you're primarily loading cleaning with your wooden ramrod then go round bottom okay. go round bottom so you will notice it is a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and if, if you definitely are just looking for all the accuracy that you can squeeze out of it and you are willing to load with a, a heavy steel rod or brass rod to help push that large ball thick patch down, um, then go square bottom. Well, that makes me feel good. I just got my uh, Kibler kit in the mail, and it's got a square bottom rice barrel, so I'm ready mm-hmm. to go tear up some matches. It'll do it, man. It'll do <laughs> it. What caliber did you get? I went with 40. That's okay. what Dad recommended as kind of a, a target plinking gun. 40 is a great, great target caliber. Um, and that's really what I recommend, Okay. Uh, especially for um, you know the offhand dis- uh, disciplines. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, small bore silhouette, that, that's the largest caliber I'm pretty sure that you're allowed to use. Um, so why not use that to knock over yeah. that target at a hundred? I'm not uh, going to risk that chicken looking at me with like a 32 or something. Oh my gosh. No, it might laugh. <laughs> but no, a 40 is great. A 40 is great. Um, it's a really good balanced round, you know, um, mm-hmm. you can get a lot of velocity out of it with with your your standard powder charges and you don't have much recoil so a person can shoot it a lot you know and not develop any flinching um which is i mean you don't want to develop a flinch if you're trying to target shoot you know yeah that's the worst Uh, thing you can have uh, it is it is so that's probably never going to happen with a 40 so you get great muzzle velocity so that it shoots flat and there's enough weight to that ball, you know, that, that it bucks the wind pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the larger calibers are going to resist that wind more and, and deviate from where it was aimed less just because that projectile weighed more, you know. But um, it's the 40 still does an adequate job at it. And it's just a really good balanced round. It's economical. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, a pound of powder is going to last for a lot of shots. You know, if you're shooting 50 grains, there's 7,000 grains in a pound. You know, you're looking at 140 rounds from a pound of powder. So that's pretty good. Yeah. I like that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I hadn't, you know, I didn't really plan on it being a hunting gun at all. Here in Indiana, you've got to be at 45 um, to hunt deer. And I just kind of let the deer run around. And, you know, if if we get to where we have a lot more like we did when I was a kid, I might think about hunting some. But for now, I think it's just kind of a, it'll ride around and and go to some matches. And just, I told dad, I hope to shoot the barrel out of it, you know, by the time I'm his age. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's going to take a lot of shots to do that. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. That's what I'm hoping. Yeah. Absolutely. Use it. And that that barrel's really nice. I mean, I love a swamp barrel. And that just, I held a couple at one of the classes that we had of the Southern Mountain Rifles, and Mm -hmm. it's just just a nice, nice barrel. I'm I'm excited to get it out. Yeah. Swamp barrels, 
you know, people, if they've not shouldered a rifle that has a swamp barrel in it, um, you know, they just don't realize what a huge difference that makes in the overall mm-hmm. balance and feel of the rifle. It, it's amazing. Yeah. And when you think about, you know, this was, uh, this was <laughs> developed <laughs> 1700s, you know, yeah. um, it, 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 it's really pretty remarkable. Um, really pretty remarkable but they just fit and they hang and it just they do there's not a there's not a modern gun you know when you shoulder for offhand shooting there's not a modern gun that feels that as good and it no. you cannot hold a modern gun as steady no you can't a long rifle i mean if it's if it's built right and it's you know if it's right i mean you can just set it up and just park it i mean and as soon as i put it on a as soon as I put it on a target, it's not going to stay parked, but <laughs> that's just how that goes. Right. Well, yeah, you know, you get your breathing right and a good stance. Yeah. You know, you'll have a few seconds there that you try to get the shot off, you know, and yeah. uh, it, it, it'll it'll sit there for a few seconds. Like you said, if everything's right, you know, and yeah. uh, it a lot of that depends on everybody's different, you know, um, your upper body strength and how long your neck is and everything and your length of pull, but when when you find that right combination of weight and length, um, and you shoulder it, it'll just sit there for a couple of seconds. It's unbelievable, yeah. and that's what I I like to see when people have never shouldered a long rifle with a swamp barrel, and then they shoulder it, and you see this grin come over their face, yeah. you know, or or they're they're just they're astonished. They can't believe that the sights are just sitting there, you know, no, hardly yeah. any movement. I was like, yeah, that's, that's what it does. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's the perfect, it's the perfect profile. It really is. As we kind of head towards, I think wrapping up, we're on, been on for just about an hour now. Um, my last question for just about everybody is where do you see muzzleloading going in the future? There's a lot of concerns about youth involvement. Um, and that, that has some people worried, and I was just kind of curious about what you thought. Yeah, you know, a, a little bit. Um, when I attend um, some of the shoots and, and, and these shows, you know, uh, you don't typically see a lot of youth. Um, so, yeah, that is that is of concern. Um, but um, it is it is. I've, my, my business is growing, so um, even though the majority of my clientele are older, um, mm-hmm. they are buying. And, you know, I think it's a little bit more of a maturity um, possible issue. Um, you know, a young kid... I don't care if you just some of the top builders, you know, mm-hmm. um, you could have the top 10 builders and a rifle that they built all each from each one of them on a table. Okay. Absolute gorgeous work, right? Yeah. It's just flawless craftsmanship and workmanship. And then you could lay up a $200 Ruger 1022 <laughs> with a 50 round banana clip in it. And ask, tell the kid he can shoot whatever he wants to shoot. He's mm-hmm. gonna pick up that Ruger ten twenty two. Yeah. You no, know? because he's just gonna he's just gonna blast away. You know, he's just gonna fire a lot of rounds and have fun. Um. But, you know, I think what happens though is if their dad or their grandfather or their uncle or or uh, their mother just you know w- one of the role models of their life uh, is into muzzle loading. They're then going to be exposed to it, and um, you know, hopefully, the bug bites them later in life um, when they're looking maybe to to challenge themselves in, in their shooting um, to become better marksmen um, or challenge themselves as a hunter. You know, um, you're not going to shoot across the bean field with a patched round ball. You know, you you've got to get close. Yeah. Um, so you've got to hone your hunting skills. You know. Um, and history, you know, you mentioned history, um, that may get into history and, uh, be a, want to be a part of it and learn more uh, about the history. And there's no better way than to experience it, 
um, yourself. And, you know, to do that, you need the, the tools and, and the accoutrements and the clothing and uh, that was available for that time period, you know. Yeah. I think that's one of the neatest things about muzzleloading, and I think I've said it a lot, but um, it's just the connection to that. I think no matter what kind of muzzleloader you have or, you know, any of the pieces that go with it, you know, your shooting box or your bag or whatever, you know, it's it's just neat to go through and and kind of make it your own. There's, I mean, you it, can go down the line exactly. of friendship and everybody has something different. That's right. That You're right, and... It all works for that person, you know. Yeah. Um, and you know, for example, you could ask, you could go down the line and ask them, you know, each shooter, uh, what's their favorite patch lube, and you're going to get just a multitude of answers, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. And uh, but each one swears by it, you know. You just have to find yeah. what works. And uh, I tell you one thing that would help our our, our traditional industry uh, tremendously is if um, you know we had another couple of states adopt a traditional muzzleloading season you know yeah um you know patched ball iron sights you know it could mm-hmm. be a side lock or flint lock um but that would be great for the industry um as well as you know shooters and competition because there would be a percentage of those people that uh then went out and bought a flint lock or more of a traditional cap lock and uh, the bug would bite them, you know, and then yeah. they'd want to learn more about it and they would want to compete. They'd want to build. Um, and then, you know, then, then they start attending all the different shows and the national shoots. And it, I think that's, that would be a great thing to happen for the traditional muzzleloading industry, but it, it's going to involve, uh, laws being changed, you know, and laws written yeah. to add those to the, the seasons and it's so um it would be quite an endeavor yeah yeah it would <laughs> it would be neat it wouldn't happen overnight yeah i mean that's the neat thing i think pennsylvania's flintlock season is ending this saturday that's so right. saturday at you know at yeah. dusk they'll be done that's right you know, yeah I think they have an early muzzleloader season too, which is which is wonderful. Yep. But it, I don't think it'd be too much to you know tack on an extra two weeks at the end of the season, you know, for just. Some, I agree. I agree. Um, don't mess with anyone else's season. You know, don't take away from rifle the general rifle. Don't take away from archery. Yeah. Don't take away from the the muzzleloading season that's already established. Just add it on to the end, whether it's mm-hmm. you know. I mean, give them at least a week, but just add it on. Um, I think it would be great. And what we hear from the majority of the states is that, you know, they're selling less and less hunting license every year. So there's right. there's actually that, which probably also means I'm assuming this, but there's probably less game being taken as well. Well, actually, so, I mean, in Indiana, they released some of the um, – deer numbers because uh-huh. that was something that going into this year everybody on on the forums and things talking about deer season in indiana was saying is that man they didn't see any deer um, but the dnr published the numbers and there was a record number of hunters and deer taken i don't know where wow. they're at <laughs> they're not around <laughs> me <laughs> wow. but um, i think it may be in a way that covid and everybody being kind of stuck inside might be you helping know, that some well, that's a possibility. That makes sense. You know, that'd be great <laughs> if that were the case. Yeah, yeah. But I'm not. I'm not saying. I mean, I. I think you're. I think you're right there. I think kind of the outdoors and a lot of hunting is. I mean, just like muzzleloading in general. You know, I think a lot of that. There's, it ebbs and flows. I think kind of like business. It does. does. It does. Yeah. And what people want. You know. Um, yeah. You know, uh, there'll be a there'll be a, a certain style of rifle that that everybody wants and they're building and um and then that that'll change you know to go to a, mm-hmm. it'll go to another school um and then for a while you know to be oh two, just two calibers that are hot you know and yeah and you see that all kind of change and um you know like you said it just ebbs and flows and there's new new things that people want to build and they get sparked uh, you know from an article in a magazine or 
uh, or you know, or some uh, something that they saw at a show, and and it just kind of goes from there and grows, you know. And, yeah. Which is a which is great. Which is great, you know. It would be boring yeah. if everybody had the exact same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I love, I mean, you, you brought up 1022s. I love my 1022, but at the end oh, of the yeah. day, no matter what parts I put on it, there's probably a few dozen just like it out there. That's right. You know, the thing for me, too, um, you know, and I mentioned this just br- kind of briefly, but, you know, when, when you start hunting, you know, hunt, hunting is kind of an evolution. You know, you, mm-hmm. you start off and, you, you know, you just kill a deer and then you kill a buck and then, you know, you're trying to kill larger bucks, you know. And, um, and you're, and you're learning more, you're honing your skills and, and, you know, it it becomes easier. Right. And so to add a challenge to it, and that's kind of what I did, you know, um, man, let's, let's, let's kill one with a flintlock on the ground, you know, let's, let's not get in a tree. Let's, Let's get on the ground and no baiting, just, just read the land and play the wind and, um, you know, I'll never forget the, the first buck I killed with a flintlock. I mean, it was yeah. it was it was awesome. You know, I mean, I felt like uh, Daniel Boone. Yeah. You know? And it's just um, it's a really cool feeling. And um, if you want to hone your hunting skills and, and become a hunter, you know, um, man, traditional muzzleloading will definitely do that. And that, that's what a a lot of archers will tell you, you know, that the yeah. reason they love bow hunting is because they've got to get close, you know, and um, you're not going to shoot across the bean field with the, with their bow. You know, you got to get close. You're right there. You got to sneak mm-hmm. in and and pick your shot and wait to move, you know, because you're so close. And a lot of that is the same with the muzzleloader. We can get we can get further shots than than archery, but. Um, you know, you're pretty well limited to iron sights. Um, yeah. Most people, you know, about 100 yards is probably their ethical range for, for shooting large game, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it will definitely hone your hunting skills. Yeah. I think just about everybody I've talked to that now exclusively hunts with a muzzleloader of some kind, or I should say like a, a traditional, you know, side lock, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, nine times out of ten, they got started hunting with, you know, whatever they had, mm-hmm. and they just wanted to, it was less and less about taking the first deer that they saw, and it was more and more about the challenge and the weight yeah. And making sure they had the shot and the difficulty that it brings on and getting better and better with that. Right. You know, and they, they still shoot all the modern stuff, but That's there's right. something special for them to go out in the woods with their, with their muzzleloader and, and try that out. Sense of accomplishment. Yeah. Yep. It, it is more rewarding. Well, Jason, that's all I've got, I think, on the questions. Where can people who are listening to the podcast find, you know, you and your work online? Yeah, so just uh, look me up at ricebarrel.com. And um, all of my popular profiles, swamp profiles, are listed. Um, All the calibers that we offer, um, we got some detail goes into detail about our our process and and what we do um so yeah just go there and check us out and of course um you can always call the shop with any questions my phone number is on the web page so yeah and then you can also email me and that's uh ricebarrel at me.com very cool Thank you a lot, Jason, for coming on. This was a really great conversation. I really appreciate it. Well, I enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was great to have Jason on the show. It was neat to sit down and talk muzzleloading and kind of cover a little bit of everything when it comes to muzzleloading. Um, Jason's a really well-rounded guy when it comes to the sport, and it's great to have people like him into the manufacturing and the business side of the muzzleloading industry to keep all of us shooting accurately and uh, with some nice barrels. So thanks again, Jason. It was really great to have you on. I don't have a whole lot of muzzleloading news to report on at the moment. Um, It's still kind of 
cold and blustery here in Indiana. So there's not a lot to really get out and cover. Um, so for, for now, if you haven't checked it out, check out the NMLRA YouTube channel. We'll have a link in the description. I've been making some videos all winter trying to cover just about everything that I can when it comes to getting started with muzzleloading. I started out building a tradition St. Louis Hawking kit, and now we're into kind of load development and getting a hold of or making the accoutrements that you need to get out and start shooting. One thing I can't help with, though, is the lack of caps right now. So we're still trying to locate some caps and uh, figure out what's going on there. We've talked to a few representatives from the muzzleloading industry now, and um, we're going to be reporting on that a little bit later this year, probably early springtime is what it, that's looking at now, on just kind of what the muzzleloading industry looks like for 2021 and how it was affected in 2020. So be on the lookout for that. Visit NMLRA.org for news and information about muzzleloading. If you're just getting started, we have a whole page there set up to help you find the right resources, the right vendors, and the right craftspeople to get in touch with to start your journey in muzzleloading. If you haven't already, feel free to subscribe and give us a rating on iTunes or wherever you listen. That helps us reach more muzzleloading enthusiasts out there. I'd like to take a moment to thank the members of the NMLRA Without them, we couldn't do anything like the show uh, that you're listening to now or the videos or the magazine or any of our in-person events that we do through the year. Um, all of their support really helps us and really allows us to make all this stuff happen. So if you like what we're doing at the NMLRA and Muzzle Blast, please consider joining. You can join for as little as $3 a month, and that'll give you our digital monthly subscription to Muzzle Blast magazine um, for just under $5 a month, you can get the physical magazine mailed to your door. We publish the only monthly muzzleloading magazine. Each month, you get 84 pages of muzzleloading news, stories, information, everything muzzleloading delivered right to your door. So if you like what we're doing, consider that. Check it out and, um, and join if you're interested. I'd like to thank you again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.